and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott, and I'm here to read you a bedtime story. Before I begin, I wanted to mention that this week is also a new episode of my other show, Historic Hangouts, and it's a special episode because we did a little switcheroo, and I'm the one who holds all the knowledge while James listens. So please go check that out if you're looking to add a new podcast to your docket. That's Historic Hangouts, where we talk about historic hangouts. (laughs) This week's story is so good. It comes to us from author D.H. Parrish, who didn't have anything to plug, so he wanted to share some of his favorites, and he suggests you listen to the Wrong Station podcast or watch the British television show Inside Number 9. D.H. is also a medical dermatologist and would like to share with you the reminder to wear your sunscreen and enjoy life. He has for us this week, service fee. Honey? He yelled. No answer. Kathy! He yelled louder. What? Came a muffled voice from another room. Come look at this! She walked into the room, where he sat hunched over in the dark, staring at a computer screen, his face illuminated by its blue glow. And... She inquired. Without turning to look at her, he pointed to the screen and grunted. Displayed was an open email. Subject line, Perfect Rentals. Your vacation deal is ready. It had been sent to both his and her email addresses. You told me it was just $100 a night. Yes, David? She replied with a slight tremor in her voice betraying the nervousness of a student called into the principal's office. Well, what is that? He jabbed his index finger at the screen. She looked, moving her face closer to the screen, searching for whatever was bothering him. There was a photo of a quaint cottage, situated against a heavily wooded background. She tried to scroll downward with her finger on the screen. No matter how many times you do that, Kathy, it's still not a touchscreen. He scrolled with the mouse downward and pointed the arrow at the line items below the picture. The cost for your perfect rental. Rental. $100 a night times three nights. $300. Taxes. 12%. $36. Service fee. $1,200. Cleaning fee, $500. Total, $2,036. If it isn't a perfect rental, you shouldn't travel. What is that? He demanded. She felt the color draining from her face. She sputtered. I, I, I didn't mean for you to get the email. Well, it's a good thing I did. Didn't I tell you to be careful of this? Didn't I say, these sites hide the real cost. We don't have a weekend getaway for $300, but for $2,000, he said, dragging out the sum for emphasis. She took a deep breath, 
I'm sorry, I guess I, I didn't see it. So, cancel it. We can't, she replied sheepishly. It's, <clears throat> it's non-refundable. Non-refundable. So you noticed the non-refundable part, but you couldn't spend five seconds to look over the damn fees? You're an accountant, for Christ's sake. She paused, taking a moment to regain her composure and let the sarcasm in his voice drip to the floor before responding. Okay. David, I'm sorry I missed it. It's my fault. You're right, but... It will still be a fun weekend at a beautiful place. The reviews were great. She grabbed the mouse to try to scroll further down on the email. Did you see the pictures of the cliffs? While she moved the screen through the email to the rest of the photo of a beautiful high bluff at dusk, he took his own deep breath. <sighs> okay, we'll go. Better be some excellent service at that price. And don't tell me what the deposit was. <laughs> she forced a laugh in response. And the storm, seeming to have passed, left the room. The three-hour drive to the coast was largely uneventful, at least on the surface. David drove at first, until they got out past the last of the exurbs. Then Kathy took over. As they came closer to their destination, the landscape became more forested and hilly, not quite wild, but no longer fully civilized. Although he didn't say anything, David continued to seethe about the service fee. It was an honest mistake, but also just the sort of mistake she made all the time. It wasn't just the money, although it did mean that they had just spent their year's travel budget on one damn cabin in the woods. Why did he put up with this? While she drove... He stared out the passenger window, looking at the parade of identical evergreens. Pretty at first, but so damn monotonous and so unending. He looked over at Kathy, who was focused completely on the road, her hands gripping the wheel tightly. This was supposed to be a romantic outing, but he wasn't feeling particularly amorous about anything. He looked at the woman he had pledged to take for better or worse, and only saw the burgeoning second chin and wrinkles that were only being slightly masked by increased puffiness. The bright blue eyes that had once excited him seemed pale and dull. What is there to be done, he thought. Divorce? They had no kids yet. They didn't even have a dog. If you wanted a new start, now was probably the time. But every divorce story he had heard from his friends began with long, contentious arguments and ended in expensive and more contentious proceedings where the only people who profited were the lawyers and counselors. Moreover, she was effectively a part owner of his business. If he wanted out, he'd probably have to take out loans to buy her out, or worse have her as an ongoing partner. 
The accountant who couldn't even read a damn weekend rental contract. And he was sure she did not want out. If she did, they wouldn't be on the road now. The four-lane highway became two lanes. David looked at the directions she had printed. The coverage is spotty out there, she had warned. The price of a romantic getaway. The exit's coming up in about one mile. It's another twenty or so past that. David guided her. Looking at the directions set him off further. She was prepared enough to print out a map, but too stupid to look at the service fees. The utter incompetence. There's the exit, he pointed. Merci. That was another thing. Kathy had spent a mere four weeks in college in Paris and couldn't really speak French to save her life. But she was always dropping French phrases into conversation. She thought it made her sound sophisticated. He remembered liking it earlier in their relationship. Now it was just annoying and twittish. After the exit, the road was barely even two lanes, and the green trees lining the sides became even thicker, making it somewhat darker and later than it likely actually was. David continued to contemplate his future. If not divorce, then... No, that was wrong and silly. But was it? If he wanted another start... Now was the time. He wasn't yet 40, but he was awfully close. Maybe he wasn't giving the marriage enough effort. If he tried... The car suddenly swerved, knocking him out of the stream of thought. Sorry. Kathy apologized. Do you need me to drive? No, I'm good. She stared straight ahead, her hands so tight on the wheel her knuckles blanched. David looked her over. She was about his height, and by this point in their marriage, almost his weight. But he was still stronger. He realized he was not contemplating, do I still love her, but could I take her? You're awfully quiet, David. What are you thinking about? Nothing. They found the final turnoff just as true night began to fall. The end road led through even more heavily wooded surroundings and became a gravel road for the last mile, which revealed at the end a wooden cabin in a small clearing. There was one side road that led to a trailhead, the cliffs Kathy had mentioned when she booked it, but there were no other houses on the road. If something were to happen, no one would see. Voila! Kathy announced as she put the car in park. New easy. And you survived. David got out and looked at the cabin. A wooden A-frame. It was fine. Or might have been fine for $300. Kathy exited the car, took a piece of paper out of her purse, and announced that the keys were in a small fake rock to the left of the door. David found the rock, removed the keys, and opened the locks. Even out here, someone had put a deadbolt on the door. They walked in and turned on the lights. The entryway opened to a living room with a fireplace on the left and a small eat-in kitchen on the right. 
David walked onto the worn hardwood flooring of the living room, which had a worn leather sofa, a faded beige fabric love seat, and overall decor that suggested the last remodeling effort had been made in either 1977 or 1978. He wasn't sure which. Overlooking the living room was a loft bedroom, which might have looked more enticing to him 20 years ago. There was also a spiral stairway just off the living room leading down, presumably to storage or utilities. Everything looked as if it had been through too many washes. As David took in the scene, Kathy moved to his side and slid her arm around his waist and squeezed. Isn't it lovely? Fine. Oh, come on, David. Give me something. I'll be better when I have something to drink. Kathy pointed to the small, worn, wooden dining table. Look, they left us a bottle of wine. She walked over, picked it up, and, playing the sommelier, displayed the label for him. A Merlot. How will that be, monsieur? Fine. Kathy placed the bottle back on the table and looked through the kitchen for a corkscrew. David picked up the bottle himself and noticed the price sticker at the bottle's kick. $2.99. for a weekend, and this is what we get? Cheap bastards. Kathy handed David the corkscrew she had found and placed two glasses on the table. Stop sulking and open it. There had been a card next to the bottle. She read, To a perfect vacation from your friends at Perfect Rental. Sounds good to me. Let's drink. They made sandwiches with the food they had brought and drank the bottle between them. They planned to hike to the cliffs tomorrow and, the agenda set, went to bed. David was hoping for more in that bed, but by the time he had finished brushing his teeth and got under the covers, Kathy was already sleeping. David stared at the ceiling. This can't be how it goes. David awoke the next morning to a tinny patter on the roof. He looked out the loft's window. Fog and rain. Just great. Perfect. As advertised. He went downstairs to make coffee. He looked at the almost antique machine, looked at the bag of beans, looked at the machine again, and realized he wasn't going to have coffee this morning. Why didn't she think of packing ground coffee rather than whole beans? She had done all that preparation to make up for her mistake with the service fee, she said, and she had blown it again. He thought about the caffeine withdrawal headache that was likely coming in the next few hours. Joy. He went to the living room, sat in the leather chair, and just thought. Kathy woke up sometime later, an hour, and came down the stairs. I tried making you coffee, he grunted. Great. Where is it? I said I tried. What's wrong? Go look and tell me. She came back. I'm sorry. And now I'm developing a killer headache. Do you want some Tylenol? She offered. Okay. 
She went up to the bedroom, then poked her head from the loft. I must not have packed any, but the instruction sheet for the rental said they have a supply of medical necessities in the basement. You can go look there. Oh, never mind. I'll deal. Are you sure? Yes. Well, to your funeral. They sat in the living room for the morning. David in the chair and Kathy on the couch, reading. David would pause occasionally to look at his watch. They were spending $50 an hour to read on outdated and uncomfortable furniture. After several hours, he got up and walked to the window in the living room. The rain seemed to be lightning. Kathy, why don't we try that walk? So we get a little wet. She looked up at him and brightened. That's the spirit. Allons. They put on their coats and went out. David didn't bother to lock the door. Who was going to break in out here? They walked back down the gravel road they had driven up yesterday. Until they came to the signs for the trailhead. The trail then led them through the pine forest. A bed of damp brown needles making a soft squish with each footfall as they made their way through. After almost an hour, the path opened to a clearing. The fog was still present, obscuring most of the view. They walked on gray slate rock, now somewhat slippery with the rain, approaching the cliff edge. A sign warned not to proceed much further, a pictogram of a stick figure falling off to emphasize the same. As if on cue, Kathy slipped just as they reached the sign, and David just managed to catch her before she hit the wet rock. Careful. He lifted her all the way up. Well, we made it, David said as he looked around. Lovely view. The view might have been lovely when clear, but obscured by fog and rain, it was less than impressive now. Yes, we did. Look, I know it's not ideal. Or perfect. Okay, or perfect. But we had a nice walk, and we're here together. They looked out for a few moments. There wasn't much else to do. The bottom wasn't visible in the fog. How far down is it? He asked. The instructions had said about 500 feet. She replied. They turned and headed back to the cabin. As they walked home, Kathy in front, David behind, he contemplated his future. The thoughts of yesterday and the images of today percolating. A fall down that cliff would kill someone. No one would suspect foul play. Officer, she was taking a picture too close to the edge. It was slippery. I saw her fall and there was nothing I could do. It was horrible. He wasn't an expert, but he guessed a body smashed on the rocks wouldn't look different in an autopsy from one pushed. And there would be no trail. She had planned this trip. The most difficult part would be playing the grieving widower. How long would he have to do it? As they walked on, The rain faded away, and the fog began to lift, sunlight clearing and brightening the way. By the time they reached the trailhead, 
It had the makings of a nice day. David? Kathy said. It's clearing up. We should go back later. For the view. Okay. He replied. She was making this easy. Or, maybe better, we go back at night. It would probably be really beautiful under the stars. Perfect. They ate lunch and then went back to the living room to sit and read. David looked at his phone occasionally. Coverage was spotty. He resisted the urge to look up anything that might register as suspicious. But his plan was set. They would walk the trail at night. At close to the edge, he would see something in the distance, point it out to her, and then push her over. He would try to call 911, but when he couldn't get through, he would go back to the cabin to try to drive for help. Even if she didn't die right away, the lack of immediate attention, I did everything I could, would likely ensure her demise. He would have to make sure her cell phone fell over with her. He looked over at her in her chair and smiled. She smiled back. Little did she know. He dozed off. He awoke to Kathy, shaking his left shoulder. Wake up! Time for our night adventure! He wiped the sleep from his eyes. I am going to get a bottle of wine to bring with us to enjoy at the cliffs! She announced. Sounds good. He wiped the sleep from his eyes. Time to get going. Wine? Yes, officer. She and I had a bit to drink. An even better excuse. Was he really going to go through with this? He supposed he didn't have to finally decide quite yet. But, having slept on it, all signs pointed to yes. She called from the kitchen. It says on the instruction sheet that there are flashlights in the basement utility room the top drawer of a desk on the far side. Could you go get them? Sure. He got up and went down the narrow spiral stairway that ended in a gray metal door. He turned the handle and pushed it open. The door was surprisingly heavy. It revealed a dark room, the extent of which was somewhat difficult to assess when lit only by the indirect light from the stairway. There was no light switch on the outside. He instinctively reached to the inside wall to the left of the door to feel for one, to no avail. Does it say if there's a light? It says there's a pull string in the center of the room. Kathy called from above. His eyes began adjusting to the darker room. He could see the outline of the furnace and water heater on the right wall, and a small desk with drawers on the far end. He could just make out the likely string in the center of the room. I see it! He shouted. I'll meet you outside! As he walked towards the center of the room, it began to darken quickly. The door had a pressure hinge that was closing it behind him, he would be left in the dark if he didn't get to the string in time. He grabbed the door, put his foot in the way to bar it, and looked for something to prop it open. He couldn't readily see anything fit to the task. He thought about calling up to Kathy to help him, but 
thought better of it. His plan would work better if he had the only flashlight. She wouldn't be able to see him push her. And if there happened to be two in the drawer and she noticed, not that she would likely notice, he would have to give her one. So he pushed the door open as wide as it would go, focused on the pull string and made a dash for it. He reached the string and tugged. A naked bulb switched on and illumined the room. In his rush, he had yanked quite hard and the string had broken off in his hand. He looked up. The string had snapped close to the lighting fixture. It'd be hard to switch it off, but who cares? He went to the desk drawer and slid it open. There were indeed two yellow flashlights, so his foresight had been correct. He turned one flashlight on and off to make sure it worked and placed it in his jacket pocket. He closed the desk drawer and went to leave, but paused. It might look suspicious if he had the only flashlight. He would take both, but then, when she fell, he would throw one over the cliff with her. No loose ends. Damn, David. You're good at this. He opened the drawer and grabbed a second flashlight. Of course, the owners would then probably charge him to replace it, or perhaps the service fee would cover it. He went to the door, which had closed, and turned the handle. It was locked. He knocked a few times and yelled up to Kathy. No answer. She had probably gone outside. He reached for his phone and, patting his pockets, realized that it was probably still upstairs by the chair. Never mind. She would realize something was amiss after a few minutes and come get him. He poked around. There was not much else to see and there was nothing else left in the drawers. He waited. After what he guessed was five minutes, he knocked and yelled again. Again. No answer. In the ensuing silence, he now noticed a hissing sound. Oh shit, was there a gas leak? He ran over to check the furnace, but the sound was not coming from there. He looked up. The hissing was coming from above, near the light fixture. He put his hands up to see if he could feel something blowing. Nothing. He went back to the door to pound and yell again. Still, no answer. He could feel his pulse racing a bit. Don't panic, David. It's just a hiccup. He then thought he detected a new odor in the room. Faintly sweet and musty. He looked at the light bulb and the pipes near it. Hiss. Something weird was definitely coming from the fixture. Perhaps turning on the light had triggered it. He would have to try to turn it off. He switched on one of the flashlights to provide some light in the room and placed it on the desk. He then gave a running jump to reach the small piece of dangling string. He brushed it, but couldn't quite grasp it. Maybe he could stand on the desk. He tried to move it, but it was bolted solidly to the wall. He began to feel a little lightheaded, and sweat was now dripping from his face. Come on, get a hold of yourself, David. He looked up again, gathered himself together, and jumped once more. His right hand missed the string but whacked the light bulb, shattering it with an incandescent flash. 
He landed on his feet, his right hand now in pain. In the now diminished light coming from the flashlight, he saw bright blood oozing where the shards of bulb had lacerated his fingers. He went back to the door and yelled and pounded again. Still no answer. Damn it, Kathy. He leaned his back against the door and slid down to sit. He was definitely feeling woozy. He could still hear that hissing. He realized he had been lucky in his panic. If there was a gas leak, the room might well have exploded when the light did. But it hadn't. So what was coming in? He pounded and yelled again more weakly this time. Why hadn't she heard him? His eyelids had become heavy. He relaxed. He would just have to wait for her to rescue him. Kathy poured herself a large glass of Merlot and plunked down in the big leather chair, the glass in one hand and a phone in the other. Just one more thing to finish off the perfect day, she thought. She looked at the instruction sheet and dialed the number. After two rings, a chipper voice answered. This is perfect rental. How may I help you? She looked at the sheet and read, I am vacationer number 3027. My vacation was complete and wonderful. Ah, I see. Excellent. We are glad you're satisfied. Now, I must ask a few questions before we check you out. Are you well? Yes. Is anyone with you? No. Is everything returned to its proper place? Yes. She looked again at the instructions. I left the laundry. That was a cute way to describe him. In the basement. Thank you. We will take care of the rest. It is all included in the service and cleaning fee. David would be happy to know that, she chuckled. Could you please hold one moment while we process your final payment? Music played. Free from David's boorish behavior. Free from obligation to him or anyone else. And with the insurance payment, she could even quit her shit job. Of course... She would have to play the distraught widow for a time. How did it happen? Oh, it's okay. It helps to tell the story. He went for an evening walk to see the cliffs at night. I was too tired to go. He must have slipped. If only I had gone. She began humming along to the music. Yes, she thought. I did have the time of my life. Hello? Vacationer 3027? Yes? I'm sorry, but there seems to be a small issue. What number are you calling from? Ah, I don't know. It's the phone you provided. Are you sure? (laughs) Yes, I'm... She looked down and realized her mistake. After she had made the reservation, they had delivered to her a burner phone. There were instructions that she was supposed to make any calls to them on this phone only. Somehow, she had instinctively picked up and used David's phone. 
there was no point in lying. Actually, I... I accidentally used another phone. Ah, uh, I see. I am having some difficulty hearing you. Could you please call us back, perhaps on another line? Kathy took the hint. She hung up David's phone, went over to her purse, and pulled out the burner and called back. Hello, this is Vacationer 3027. I was just... Yes, we are aware. Please hold. There was no music this time. After a few minutes... Hello? So... Kathy continued. The other phone. That's not a problem, is it? The voice, still chipper, continued. I'm afraid it is. You see, our agreement, which you signed, requires you to contact us only with the phone provided. A perfect rental must be perfect. If there are complications, it simply isn't perfect anymore. We are unfortunately going to have to forfeit your deposit. I understand, she replied. She was a little annoyed, but there was no point fighting. You must be careful in your business. You are correct, and we appreciate your graciousness. Most clients tend to become upset, but it is part of the agreement. Kathy did not recall how much the deposit had been, but it would still be worth it to be rid of David. She took another swallow of the Merlot. <clears throat> Forgive me for not remembering, but exactly how much was the deposit? Oh, I see. Did you read the terms of the agreement? <laughs> yes, I, I just don't remember. Well, then, per paragraph 7 of our standard agreement, at the time of check-in, on the day of the rental, the renter will deposit his slash her eternal soul into escrow to be held until checkout is completed. Any failure to abide by the complete terms of the rental, including the exclusive use of the phone provided for all communications, shall result in forfeiture of the deposit. What? Yes, and I do regret this, Vacationer 3027, as you have been so pleasant. But we are going to have to collect on that deposit now. As the words were spoken, she heard several clicks as of locks sliding into place at the front door. Dark, heavy shades slid down rapidly in front of all the windows. She could hear a faint hissing coming through the light fixtures. What the fuck is going on? She yelled into the phone. I paid you. What do you want? I'm sorry. The voice sympathetically continued. We are going to have to say goodbye. In our business, we just can't afford for anything not to be perfect. Thanks for listening, and thank you again to my author, D.H. Parrish. For this story this week, I thought it was fantastic. Very much, I couldn't see, I didn't see the ending coming. I mean, I, I knew someone was going to die, but I didn't see both of them dying. I really didn't, so that was fun. That was fun, a fun read, and I'm so glad I got to produce it. I hope I did a good job in your eyes. So if you like the show, go follow me on social media. You can follow the show at 
scare you to sleep on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And if you'd like to follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram, it's at Shelby B. Scott. By the way, that's also where you can find all the show updates and things. Um, so if you are wondering where an episode is or if you just like to discuss an episode, I love seeing the, the episode discussions. Oh, and thank you to everyone who has been, who, any of you Spotify users who have been using the app to leave comments on each episode. It's been really fun to see and I really appreciate it. Every time I open it up, I kind of forget it exists just because it's so new, you know? And uh, there it is. Oh, and speaking of leaving messages, I hear you and I have set up a voicemail box for you to leave me voicemail messages. The phone number is 323-546-8764. And it's also in the show notes. So if you'd like to leave me a voicemail, I'm really excited to get back to those episodes we did a couple years ago where I would play your voicemail messages on the air and again answer your questions if you have a question you can leave me something creepy i don't remember what the time like what the time limit is on this one uh the one thing we ran into last time was there was kind of a time limit and some of them would get cut off but i don't know what this is a google number by the way so if you know if you're aware i guess google it see how long you have but yeah leave me something creepy ask me a question leave me a comment whatever you'd like and i will well i'm not i, I will monitor them but within reason of course i will play your message on the air on a special episode and comment answer all that good stuff so i'm really excited to have that back it was a fun thing to do before and i'm glad a few of you reminded me of it. I had kind of forgotten about those episodes and I'm so glad a few of you reminded me. So yeah, that's 323-546-8764. It's in the show notes. So leave me a message. Uh, let's see. What did I bake this week? I did. I made, you know, I just made a good old fashioned boxed yellow cake. Yellow cake is the one recipe that I've never successfully made from scratch where it just did not have the same that same great just cake battery type flavor that comes from a box yellow cake. So I, for those baking purists out there, I apologize. Feel free to throw tomatoes at me, but I just, I just love a good box yellow cake. So I made that, made the frosting from scratch because box yellow cake goes perfectly with any sort of cooked chocolate frosting. In my opinion, there's one that my family uses a lot. That's like uh, you use like chocolate chips and evaporated milk and things and sugar and you like boil it. It's, I think it's called like boiled chocolate frosting. I'm not sure, but, uh, yeah, I made that Ugh, perfect combination. Beautiful. Loved it. Just no notes, no notes, a good old classic, you know? Oh, and again, another reminder, please go listen to historic hangouts. It has been so much fun and it was a little late this week. Just like this episode, everything was late this week. Uh, life has just been getting in the way a little bit. Again, I'm working on five shows. I'm trying to find more balance in my life. I really am, I promise. Uh, <laughs> I, I promise I'm trying to find more balance between all these projects. I need a vacation. Oh, I need a vacation so bad. I can't remember the last time I took a vacation, like a real one. Anyway, oh, anyway, that's not your problem. That's just me whining. But this is the ramble at the end, so I am rambling. Oh, and uh, remember, you can get the show ad-free on Patreon. That's a little tangent and my patreon patrons you probably saw the email or the post yes i have a male thief um well not just me the whole 
neighborhood around my P.O. Box does, uh, just to share with those of you who are on Patreon. So I've been noticing I had an influx in the last few months of people being like, I didn't get my sticker. I didn't get my letter. And I was like, that's really odd. I mean, every once in a while, I'll get some that come back because the address is wrong or I don't know, the stamp fell off It just or just wasn't deliverable. But it's like pretty few and far between. And then recently it's been like, what's going on? Why? And and also on top of that, I, on top of people saying they hadn't gotten theirs, I wasn't getting anything back. I wasn't getting like, this wasn't deliverable for such and such or whatever. And I went to the mailbox to drop off a big pack of stickers for my patrons for $5 and up and saw a sign there. I posted the sign on Patreon, a picture of it. Turns out mail thieves at my post office have spread sticky, literally the sign said sticky stuff. They don't know what it is. Sticky stuff over the all onto the inside of the drop boxes and they were stealing letters. They were just stealing whatever letters got stuck. And so the, the sign was like, make sure your letter goes all the way in and drops down. Oh my God. It was so gross. So I reached my arm in, <laughs> I reached my arm in and cause I didn't really notice the sign until I'd already thrown them in there. And my arm came back out and sure enough, most of them were stuck and this was a good stack of them. And a lot of them were stuck. And so I had to like pry them off and push them down. And I think I'm pretty sure I got all of them, but there was also like a paper stuck in there. I think it was the post office had like stuck a, just a sheet of paper in there to try to cover up most of the sticky stuff. But like, I couldn't tell just from feeling if that was like part of an envelope of mine or if it was like a piece of paper and I pull my arm out and it's just covered in mystery sticky stuff. It was disgusting. (laughs) The things I do. Um, But if, uh, again, if you were a $5 or more patron and you never received your sticker or, you know, yeah, that's it. If you never received yours, I, my, my deepest apologies, I'm working through, I'm getting a list so far. It's not too bad. The list of people who didn't receive their things, but, um, please reach out to me through Patreon. Um, if you can through Patreon and let me know, it just, it just helps me keep things in order a little better if I keep it all on the same website, but reach out to me through Patreon, just send me a message and be like, Hey, I was part of the mail thieves or no, you're not part of, you were a victim of the mail thieves. So, uh, that was stressful and, um, I apologize. And it, I think the most stressful part of that is the idea that so many people thought I probably just like didn't send them stuff, like was just, I don't know, scamming them or something and being like, yep, I'll definitely send you a sticker, wink, wink, and then just never did. (laughs) But I promise that's not what happened. I'm so glad the post office put a sign too, so I could have the sign and be like, look, it's true. And I didn't have to show you a picture of my like sticky ass arm or the disgusting mail slot. Of course, now I'm going to be just bringing the letters in, but that that was a big learning lesson. And uh, mail thieves suck. They just do. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Okay. I'm going to go call that number. Leave me a message. Go listen to historic hangouts. Uh, wear your sunscreen, drink your water, go get some sleep and sweet dreams. 
Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now. Every town has its dark history. Hometown Ghost Stories is a paranormal podcast that goes town to town all across the globe, exploring the world's most haunted places, tapping into the dusty archives and the darkest corners to bring you the most terrifying stories of real people and their harrowing experiences. Hometown Ghost Stories dives into the history of haunted locations and investigates why and how these places earned their terrifying reputation. Rob, Dave, and Jesse go live every Tuesday night after an uninterrupted documentary-style breakdown on the case, followed by an open discussion with live viewers. Subscribe today to listen to Hometown Ghost Stories on your preferred podcast platform or watch the video version on YouTube and now Spotify. Head on over to the Bloody FM Podcast Network and check out Hometown Ghost Stories, if you're brave enough. (laughs) 